0: Yay, good morning. Okay, unveiling the mask, the sweat and the makeup combo I'm just not really sure about, so here we go. So glad to be here, sort of here with you this morning. Um, So just jumping right into it, I'm so grateful to say that our small group here at church gathered again virtually Um, recently. I just love them so much, it was so fun to do. Like so many things this year, our flow of meeting got interrupted. Um, But okay, honestly, I just need to pause. It's so funny to not have many people here. So if I'm like randomly just pretending that there are, I'm crazy, there really aren't many people here. So, um, but we have been studying Connected Families curriculum, which many people in our community know about, a curriculum that helps support parents and families to do the very best they can in loving and caring for their children. And in this time between us meeting, um, and not meeting, an email that I received from them really popped out at me. It read, safe parenting can be hard. There are a few key ideas to being a safe parent that were summed up in a conversation with a dad I coached. He reported, I'm so confident at work and with friends. I'm on my game almost all the time. My colleagues respect my authority. But when it comes to my kids acting up, it's like I lose the real me. I become someone I don't know or like. And in this email, they said many parents often make these similar confessions. They tell us, I don't like the me that shows itself when I discipline my kids. And so it challenges us, they say, to consider who this real me is when we are parenting and how do we parent from a place that's authentic in a way that doesn't scare or push our kids away. They say the hard truth about whatever it is that comes out of us is a part of the real me. They point to the scripture, Matthew 12, 34, that says, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, this brings me to kind of my question for the day. Have you ever acted in a way that made you check yourself and say, oh, I I don't really know who that person was, but I'm not really liking it. I I know I have. Like, I'm not, who is that person rearing their ugly head? I'm not so into that. Or like something that's made you want to justify or qualify your actions, like when we yell at our kids, for example, or maybe something happens at work and, quick to blame a coworker and hard to accept a shortcoming on our own or maybe with a personal problem that I have wanting to blame a spouse or a parent. There's something like a part of us that's, that's maybe kind of quick to justify or deny certain parts of us when they're exposed. So today, I want to dive into why, with Jesus, we no longer have to justify or qualify our actions. We are called, rather, to move through this kind of resistance that might come up when we see the real me, when we get a closer look at all the insides of who we are, which is, we know, a complicated mix of good and bad and love and selfishness and light and darkness and compassion indifference but when we persevere through this work there's so much hope so today i was originally going to speak on the first sunday of advent which focuses on hope but it's 2020 so today we are claiming hope and peace right john peace all right so hope and peace um and one of the most prominent scriptures at least to me that talks about hope from the Bible is from Paul in the book of Romans. So let's look at Paul's personal testimony and what he has to say about hope and apply it today. From Romans 5, 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. In which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope I'll have to get another mask this one's now contaminated Um, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this scripture from Romans, Paul talks about God meeting us where we are at he talks about the kind of hope that comes from the glory of god and hope that is an extension of suffering that begins in suffering so let's look at the context of this scripture i've really really come to love this scripture in the beginning of the book of romans paul is talking to all in rome who are called to be saints he's telling them how he so longs to be with them how he wants to see them face-to-face for mutual encouragement, how he wants to build them up and to see their faith in order for him to be built up as well. It kind of sounds familiar right now. He's praying for a way that might open up for him to see them soon. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul talks about the potential or actual results of living in separateness from God, living without union in God, living in gossip and envy and strife and slandering, heartless, faithless, ruthless ways. He talks about what life is like when we suppress the knowledge of God and choose to live apart from Him. Perhaps Paul is talking from experience. We know that before completely transforming his life and making it his mission to share with others about the power of Jesus, he was persecuting the church and trying to violently destroy it. Paul's conversion story is told in the book just before Romans in the book of Acts. Acts 9-1, Paul, formerly known as Saul, a Pharisee who was plotting against the disciples of the Lord, he was on the road to Damascus on this journey into the city of Damascus on a mission to violently persecute. He was met with a great flash from heaven and a loud voice asking him what he was doing and then telling him what to do. It says in the Bible that his friends couldn't hear what was going on but could see. And they saw Saul fall to the ground. And then when he came to pull himself up, he opened his eyes only to see Nothing, darkness. For three days, he could not see anything and he did not eat or drink anything either. In complete darkness, his friends held him by the arms and walked him into the city. Just wonder, as he's sitting in his darkness, not eating or drinking anything, three days. What, what is he seeing at this time? Maybe in his darkness. I just wonder, is he better able to see the insides of who he is? Did, did this time sitting with himself in his quiet, I, I assume, with darkness and no food, was this part of what we know changed him so dramatically that took him from being the one persecuting to then being the one persecuted for his work from Jesus. What happened in him that was so powerful, that transformed him so dramatically, that inspired him to talk about the kind of hope that is an extension of suffering. I think it's really important to note that in our scripture for today is one of Paul's main questions that he tries to answer in his work and mission and his writings for Jesus. It's the question, how are we made right with God? How are we justified? And his answer is, stop justifying yourselves. You are justified by Jesus and by faith. And that is all. God knows every nook and cranny of who you are. He died for us while we were still sinners. He is not surprised at all by the inner workings of who we are. So stop justifying ourselves. We're made justified. We are justified with Jesus and faith. The parts that we share and the parts that we hide, Jesus is there too. He sees that too. And I believe that there is a message of hope and inner peace in this story for us today. That this hope that comes from no longer justifying myself, the kind of grace and hope that allows me to rest in being known by Jesus right where I am, no longer hiding any part of me. Specifically, maybe even, the kind of hope that is birthed from our blind spots at, at times this year i feel like maybe i felt like what paul might have felt like with so much change and newness planning is like a thing of the past just kind of walking in in darkness not not really knowing where my next step is going to land just kind of like, in darkness, feeling my way forward. I'm reading the book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, and it feels beautifully timely, and I want to read just a piece of it now. It says, when we cannot tolerate the dark, we try all kinds of artificial lights, including, but not limited to, Drinking, shopping, hours, watching TV or in front of the computer. There are no dark emotions, Greenspan says. Just unskillful ways of coping with emotions that we cannot bear. The emotions themselves are conduits of pure energy that want something from us, to wake us up, to tell us something that we need to know, to break the ice around our hearts, to move us to act. She says, I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again so that there is only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need the light. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the places in us that we might feel more comfortable hiding or keeping in our shadow can sometimes be known or called the shadow self. In Jungian psychology, it is known as the unconscious or the part of us that the ego doesn't identify with. So we're likely spending a lot of time with ourselves right now, so the more we can get comfortable with every nook and cranny of us, the more enjoyable this is going to be. So here we go. Um, My children, I will say, had a special way of introducing me to my shadow self. What's the thing we all say? I thought I was patient, and then I had kids. My sweet babies just were the most gracious bearers of news about the inner depths of me. They introduced me to just this love that I never could have dreamt, and with it, anxiety and terror and fear and just all the things. This crazy love, you know, just became an extension of me, and also, like I said, just crazy anxiety or loss of patience at times, like this impatience that I used to hold in like well-timed naps and beautifully crafted self-care. It just was all revealed when kids came into the picture. In my defense, Andrew knew when he married me that I needed to be, have snacks and well-exercised and get the exact amount of sleep every night um, but as, as hard as I tried to hold it all together, like I could just sit and talk to my preschool babies. Just I'm just made for that. I live in that and I love just staring at my kids. But if I don't have sleep, I just become this crazy person and it is not a pretty sight. So they just had this beautiful, like kind of aggravating way of chipping away at this outer shell of me that I had thoughtfully crafted for so many years, just revealing all these parts of me. And I remember first getting a close-up look at these parts of me when I was really wrestling with the difference between parenting for acceptable behavior, right? Like the kind that, that looks good out in public and really parenting to shepherding their hearts. So in other words, like being willing to move through really annoying tantrums and loud sounds, you know, for the annoying amount of time that it took to get to the heart of the issue. And when I was really moving through and wrestling with parenting towards the heart of the issue, gosh, this stuff, like I said, just kept coming up. And I was honestly just really weighed down at what I was seeing and the broken and the impatience in me and just just wanting to quick reflex desire to move through things quickly, right, and just wanting to throw, like, bribes at it, or, like, threats, whatever. Um, Yeah, so maybe it's just me, but at times in my life and in my mess-ups, it felt almost as if, like, this Groundhog's Day of behavior, asking for forgiveness and trying to put love in its place at times, and at my worst, felt sort of transactional or seeing these parts in me that would like continually rise, just like whack a mole them down into place, like just behave, come on, keep it together. And maybe at worst, like a performance of the fruits of the Spirit. And I honestly remember like in all seriousness, just crying to one of my mentors and just like, I just feel so exhausted by my own brokenness. Like I'm just so sad, I don't want my children, I know we're saving for therapy, but like I don't want my children to feel this broken, Part of me, that was a joke, and there's no one here, so. Uh, um, I, don't want the, I don't want them to take down this, feel this brokenness from their mom. I'm just so, feel weighted down and heavy with this. I want to come prepared and refreshed every time I see their sweet face. And genuine tears just filled his eyes and said, Kate, that breaks my heart to hear. Like, you are loved just the way you are. Let them see you. I want them to experience you the way you are. And something about that just felt like rest and grace. And maybe like what it feels like, you know, what Jesus sees all parts of us and just loves us and accepts us right where we are. This, of course, doesn't mean to sit in the muck of our sin, but to move through it without shame, the shame that can like unknowingly get us stuck in our stuff. But rather, first, starting in this complete acceptance, right, just getting this look at everything in me, complete acceptance of where I am at, and then persevering through the work. I wonder if sometimes it gets confusing as Christians. This is just a question, trying to emulate... The one without sin. Because in our human, we inevitably fall short of the one we're trying to follow after. Like, is there shame there? Or is there this, like, accentuated reflex to try and cover up and hide that human shadow side of who I am? Scott McKnight says, what is inside needs to be manifested outside, or we become hypocrites. I recently heard a Minneapolis pastor and psychologist say that the biggest reason people do not want to be Christians or they are repelled by Christianity is hypocrisy. I think that this is a hard truth to swallow but also I don't think comes to us as a surprise either. Jesus I think talked a little bit about this as recorded in Matthew 23. What we might refer to us as as the part of the ego, the part that wants to be important and central and significant, the part that wants to eliminate all negative in order to succeed, Jesus called the actor can be translated from Greek as the hypocrite. The actor, hypocrite, or the ego, the part that wants to cover up the shadow at all costs. The actor is also the part that if well defended, is in denial and is often projected elsewhere. We tend to judge our own faults in other people, like the stuff that might irrationally cause friction in us with the ones around us. Maybe that's something that I have closed myself off to or learned to judge in myself, so I start to judge it in others. When we react strongly in another person, it typically arises from something uncomfortable in us that needs healing. The shadow, I think it's important to know, in and of itself is not evil. It just allows us to sin without always recognizing it. And so Jesus, in his love for us, exposes our hypocrisy so that we can be more aware of who we really are and can be loved and known by God even deeper his advice for the denied shadow is the plank in your own eye according to my research here which you invariably see as the splinter in your neighbor's eye Jesus advice is beautiful on what to do take out the plank in your own eye so that you can more clearly see enough to take the splinter out of your neighbors. So sometimes at first, these unconscious areas can be hard to accept. Like we want to deny them or hide them. Or we are bothered by those inner parts of us, so we judge them and others. Or we're really self-critical and self-condemning of those parts of us. But today let's remember that we are seen and loved and welcomed into God's kingdom just as we are. Okay, so how can we apply any of this? Like, I don't need one more thing to do, Kate, so just give it to me straight, right? I can't handle any more things to do right now. So, let's see. Well, often, I think it's, it's been really helpful for me to know that the shadow or like this unconscious part, it can ask for healing through our emotions. So simply, at the end of the day, taking inventory and saying, where was I reactive today and why? Or the emotion of resentment can be really powerful and informative. Where did I feel resentment and why? I've heard it recommended to do this, this kind of shadow work, you could call it, with the presence of a warm candle or fresh flowers or walking in nature to be reminded of god's presence with you as we do this and again it's not like in a legalistic way of something we have to do but as an invitation to this life-giving communion with god and hope through grace just through this radical acceptance of where we are And moving in this direction of hope not through the hustle of justifying ourselves but to rest in grace and move in hope knowing that we don't have to justify ourselves that feels hopeful so yes our homework is to take a bath or light a candle or I've even been taking walks in the calm stillness of the dark with my puppy and just trying to invite those places inside of me that I might rather hide out into the calm peace of the dark of night. And then we, as we do this, we let the Holy Spirit move in and do the work. And this revealing might feel like resistance at first. And then this is the work of persevering. And then we develop character through this and feel hope as an extension. Maybe we are called to let something go or maybe we are called to speak up more in a certain place, like the, the uniqueness that God will show to us in this work is unique, as unique as we are made, right? Or last week, John invited us to fast in tradition of waiting, of the Advent season of waiting for the birth of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I'm fasting, especially of coffee, like things will come up that don't always like to bubble up. And so it's like inviting this into God's presence can be such a sacred gift. And I just, I just, we're so worth it. And I love this quote from Anne Lamont that says, "Your, your healing is the best thing You can offer your children or any of your loved ones, for example. Our healing is the best thing we can do for the ones that we are with. So maybe this is a time that we are being beckoned to look more within. With this gift of more alone time or time with our most gracious mirrors, our reflected mirrors for us. Maybe we can, like, really get to a place of radical acceptance of where we are at. And then just be so reminded that you are loved right here in this moment. And in our reflections, we, you know, we'll see things that we can celebrate and also things. And I'm talking about, like, the mirrors. Like, I think we all vibe with that, right? Like, the mirrors that our loved ones show us of who we, the insides of who we are, the ones that we're closest to can really reflect that for us. So we'll see things that we can really celebrate about ourselves and also maybe some things that are just asking to be healed and more deeply loved. I, just, I believe that the parts inside of us that we would rather hide are just calling from our shadow, beckoning to be woven into ourselves for purpose, and healing, and better connection to others, and maybe even purpose and mission. Remember, God chose Saul before he was Paul. He chose Saul out of his brokenness because of his brokenness in order to use him for his mission and his kingdom work. So perhaps, when we close ourselves off to part of us that we might rather hide or refuse to see or deny, what if we're closing ourselves off to part of our purpose and mission with God too? He knows where I have been. He knows right where I am at and wants to use me out of this place, use you out right from the place where you are at for hope and for his mission. When we let God into these denied parts of ourselves, we are opening up to the opportunity of being used for his purpose. When we let Jesus pour compassion on the just like the tired and the judged parts of ourselves. In a world that just needs like is just in need of all this healing and I know that there's All this stuff hidden, too, just gives me hope to think that if we reveal more, just one by one, reveal more of parts of ourselves to Him, will that help to meet the brokenness and the need in our world where we are at right now. When suffering happens or those places in us that we want to resist, human tendency we know can be to throw comfort or distraction at it, and the ego wants to deny it at all costs, and Jesus says, hey, I choose you right from where you are. When we deeply accept where we are at and let God into that place, that feels like that persevering work and character-building work and such hope to me. I was saying earlier in that that story, I got a little distracted. But about myself, man, there was a time I just I just felt so heavy and broken down by my own human, like like the inevitable brokenness in me. It just felt like day after day was just wearing me down. I remember just wanting to like take the human part off like a bathrobe, like the heaviness of a bathrobe, and set it aside. And when Jesus as I see you, I love you exactly where you are at. That makes it feel like I can wear that piece of me, more like the robe, like the child of a king. So on the second Sunday of Advent, as we anticipate the celebration of the birth of Jesus, I'm reminded that our Creator came to us in human form. And that tells me that there is something incredibly sacred about being human, being as fully human as possible. When we refuse to hide those parts of us and let all the complex, complicated parts of us into His presence that He already knows, oh, He can just use them for healing and goodness. I am taking hope in the fact that Jesus welcomes every part of our human experience into his presence. And I am claiming hope in the fact that this community commits to showing up authentically as we are and accepting one another as we are, encouraging each other in perseverance, in the way of character, in the way of hope, Jesus coming, th- th- waiting for Jesus in this season, in this time, it gives me hope in the life everlasting and complete redemption and healing from all oppression and hunger and sickness and loneliness. Everything will be healed and redeemed. And also, Jesus coming as human it gives me hope that there is beauty and fullness in this invitation of the human life with him in his presence that he invites us into. This hope that's an extension from suffering. Because of Jesus, I have hope that there is some place more than this and also that this place is something more. Because Jesus came to us as human and welcomes all of our human experience into his presence. So lastly, I understand that, like, the national tension or separateness and just complete exhaustion that I know people are feeling. I know it's not going to, just all the hard situations, it's not going to be solved with a warm bath and a candle. But I do, I do really believe that the healing will come from this place of connectedness with God. It will be birthed from this place that we refuse to justify, refuse to hide our broken, and rather invite Christ's compassion into and through our broken. And from that, overflowing compassion move into the mission and the work that you specifically are uniquely called to do last quote from walking in the dark she says new life starts in the dark whether it is a seed in the ground a baby in the womb or Jesus in the tomb And also I'm going to add Jesus being born in the cave. It starts in the dark. So may we all be blessed with the hope birthed from darkness this season. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time. Amen.